Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. Grab a seat. Hey, come on. If you're glad to be alive, you love who you're sitting next to, you love Jesus more. Come on, make some noise in this place. Yes. Welcome to Soma. If you're new to our church family, we're so glad you're here. Uh, We love you day one. More importantly, God does. And we're in this series called Good News. And so I only got good news for you. Um, I was hanging out with Solomon, our three-year-old, yesterday. We were playing, and he loves to build a fort. That's like his favorite thing to do is build a fort. And so he says, Dad, let's play a game. I'll be Simba. You be Daddy Lion. Because he can't remember Mufasa's name. And so uh, we, Brooke's favorite movie is Lion King, like animated movie is Lion King. And so we play this quite a bit. But So we build the fort. And I'm thinking through today and just kind of thinking about where we're going today. And I'm reminded of that scene in Lion King. You know the moment where Mufasa like slow falls to his death? You know what I mean? And he's falling, and it's literally slow motion, and there's music. There's this great score underneath it, and he, he falls, and the wildebeest trample him and kill him. It's real sad. And it, it, if you watched it in the movie theater, like, growing up, you're like, why, Disney? Like, what is going on? And then, like, kids are turning to their parents. Why didn't he get up? Like, you know, and that people are processing real things uh, in this Disney, Disney movie. And, but there's this moment where Simba, like, looks at his dad. And, and the, the, you know, it shows, it kind of zooms in on his face and he looks at his dad and there's this realization that his willful disobedience has led to the chaos of this moment. Like he's dead and I played a part in this moment. And what happens in that scene is he processes all of this and then he runs, he runs he runs from the life that he knows. He runs from the call in his life. He runs for, from um, the responsibilities that he's supposed to take and uh, the part that he's supposed to play in this community. And he just settles. It's not like he, he doesn't go into like some kind of crazy, dark, evil life of crime or anything like that. He just hangs out in the jungle with that pig and that, I don't, the meerkat or whatever that other thing is. And they just sing songs and they just kind of goof off. And, but he's far from the call in his life. Instead of being who it is that he's supposed to be, he's just kind of over here he's not the worst guy that you know he's just also just not where he's supposed to be and I feel like that's so many of our stories where we have a a moment in our lives that mark us and if we're not careful instead of drawing close to the things of God instead of drawing close and just becoming who it is that God wants us to become stepping into the life that he wants for us we just kind of run we just run and it's because of our willful disobedience. We just know, hey, I've failed in this area. I'm going to remove myself uh, from, from this equation. I've, I've had conversation after conversation, even here at this mill, of people who serve in different businesses here at the mill. And they'll ask me how church is going. They'll talk about, hey, man, it's, it's great to see what's happening. And we'll talk about that. And then I'll say, hey, what's your story when it comes to... Like, what's your relationship look like with God? Or what's your, what's your own faith? Or what's your story with church? And they always start off and they're like, man, I grew up in church. I grew up and, and, uh, and, and, and they kind of start real strong and they're like, yeah. And they think about camp. They tell me about their camp story or they tell me, you know, whatever. And there's a place in their story they get to and they go, but, and they just kind of, they're like, yeah, I just haven't, I need, I know I need to go. I know I need to like 
you know, and they begin to kind of talk themselves. I'm not asking them to like shame them or judge them or anything. I'm just asking them what their story is. And they begin to unpack for me and they show me right away that there's hurts, that there's hangups, that there's failures. There's maybe things that have been done to them. More than likely things they've done to themselves, wrongful decisions, willful disobedience. that's led them to a place to kind of hang their head a little bit and feel shame. In, in, in a complete stranger, they're talking to me about their own experience and they're just kind of unpacking like, and, and so so many of us, that's the place that we live in where we just fail your marks. You'll, you'll fail in one way and it just kind of marks the rest of your life where you won't engage people the way that you used to engage people. Or there's certain environments that you avoid. Or, or you just can't make eye contact in the way that you used to be able to make eye contact. Or you just lack, you just, there's an insecurity and a fear and an anxiety attached to whatever shame that you've got going on. That's because failure is a part of life and I've got good news for failure today. So last week we talked about good news for condemnation. This week I'm telling you there's good news for your failure and failure is just this universal condition. In case anybody's never told you, you will fail. You have failed. You're going to fail. It's okay. As a matter of fact, if you're great at something, you're really good at something, you failed a lot in order to get good at the thing that you're great at. So um, well, and I'll give you, I'll paint a picture. So like when you're, when you're babies, right. And you're learning how to walk, you're garbage at walking. You're not a good walker, right? You just, you fall down, you hit stuff, you cry, you can't keep, and your parents think it's adorable and you're just like shuffling your feet. You're trying to do the thing. And they're like, they're such a good walker. No, you're not. You're, you're a terrible walker, right? You're not good at it. Riding a bike. You learn how to ride a bike. Initially, not so good. A lot of skin up knees, a lot of like, it may be worse. I don't know what your story is with bike riding, but you're really, when you first start, you're really not that great at riding a bike. You ha- here's how to ride a bike. You ride the bike. Like that's how, how do we teach our kids how to ride a bike? You put them on it and you're like, pedal that thing. And I'm going to hold you. I'm going to push you down a hill or whatever. Like you just have to do the thing swimming, right? You swimming, you learn how to swim. You almost drown learning how to swim. I don't know if you remember it, but if you think back to learning how to swim, almost all of us, you just, just this one point where you went underwater and you're like, and, and you know, it's like, there was that moment where you almost died. They had you. They weren't going to let you drown, but yet you almost drowned. And then just time after time, this is our story with the things that we experience. And so um, school, you failed at school. How many of you, uh, you didn't get all A's in school? You didn't get all A's? Raise your hands. A lot of all A's in here. Wow. Okay, great. No. But if you did get all A's or you had like, so a lot of us failed when it comes to school. Like you got a bad grade on the test or you didn't get an A. Some of you, you had all A's and like an A minus and it just like, Oh, like it just, or you had all A's. You may have even been perfect in school, but you failed in other things like socially. Everybody hated you. If you had a hundreds on all the things and all A's, right? So, um, learning how to sing, how to draw, how to do math, how to drive a car. How many of you, the first year of driving, you you got your license, you hit someone, something backed into something. You had a record, something like you had a bump up in some way. Yeah. Like all of us. Right. And so we're talking about my, I got a kid that's, that she's turning 16 soon and we're talking cars and things like that. And baby girl has big dreams, but I'm like, also you're going to wreck. Like, you know, it's some way, shape or form. I don't want to like, you know, I, I, I just want it to be a small one. Like I want it to be like something small in our yard, maybe our own vehicle, whatever. But, the, but there's failure attached to really all the areas of our life. And so, um, uh, it, this is the reason why we need Christ. This is the reason why we need a savior. This is the reason for the good news is that you and I, 
we fail at a lot of things and we need someone to come and, and deal with, with our failures and the struggles that we have. And that's the beauty of the good news. Last week we talked about uh, uh, this incredible word called euangelion, which is the New Testament word. It's the Greek word for the good news, for the gospel. And that you and I in Jesus, we only have good news. That's our, like, I only have good news for you today. And you're like, well, I'm struggling with this or I'm, I'm battling that or I'm dealing with this specific thing in my area of life or suffering in this way or lost in this way. There's good news for every single, every single thing that we go through. God can take your failures and he can actually use them as fulcrums in your life for your faith and to help and serve and impact other people. So the things that you are most insecure about, the things that you're most afraid of other people finding out, the things that you feel like I'm the biggest failure in this area of my life are the things that God usually uses to leverage you into your purpose and and just because nothing hits nothing hits better than that like I'm broken in this area of my life here's the good news for this area of my life here's what God's done to rescue and redeem me in this area it's the it's the place where you're going to have the most purpose and so um, we see this biblically as well we see that there's good news for failure in the Bible and one of the places that we see it most is in the person of Peter Peter is um, one of my favorite people in scripture a spirit animal if I'm being real there's usually my, the people that I really am attracted to in, in scripture are like really jacked up like Jacob is another one that I love my Brooks like he's a liar I'm like I know but I really like the guy I like I love him so but there's people in scripture like this who just God favors extends grace to they don't really merit it they're just kind of dumb and they just thrive not because of their their works or because of their goodness just God's faithfulness in their lives Peter's one of these people I love Peter because he's super passionate he just says what whatever he's thinking. Nobody like, it just makes it socially awkward for everybody in the room. Peter's just like, boom, he just says whatever is on his heart. He doesn't think about things. He just goes for it. I'll give you an example in the several examples in scripture. I want to hit one is like the Mount of transfiguration. If you remember this passage, Mark talks about, they go up. This is right after he feeds uh, 5,000. This is right after Peter says, Hey, you're the, you're the Christ you're the Messiah. They go up on the Mount of transfiguration and James, John and Peter get invited to this party. They go up and this is the moment where God's glory is displayed in Christ. And he just kind of visually reveals who his son is. He's been God the whole time, but it's like also, man, I'm just going to reveal some things to you, James, John and Peter in this moment, Mount of transfiguration. And so Elijah comes and Moses shows up who are dead, by the way, right? So they just are there on the mountain. So Jesus and Elijah and Moses are just hanging out, holy huddle happening on the top of Mount Transfiguration. And James, John, and Peter are watching this play out. Now, James and John know well enough to just shut up. Like they don't say anything in this moment. And Peter's like, you know what? This is a great place for me to talk. This is Jesus is glowing. Elijah and Moses are here. I have something to say. And so he's like, he's like, listen, hey guys, it's awesome we're here. Do you want me to set up camp? Like, should I set some tents up or some, you know, are you hungry? Do you need anything? And James and John are like, what is wrong with you, bro? Like, why are you talking? Bible says, matter of fact, it's like, he was terrified. He didn't know what to say is what the Bible says, which is to say he, excuse him. He was, he was scared in this moment. But uh, Peter is the one who jumps first. He takes risks. Uh, it's not calculated. But honestly, sometimes it gives way to, to great faith moments. So he's the only one recorded in all of human history other than Jesus who's walked on water. Why? Because he's that guy. He doesn't really think about it. He just, he's like, I'm just going to get out of this boat and I'm just going to walk towards. And then it, it, you know, ultimately he falls. But 
I mean, so there are moments like that. There's another moment in scripture that's really redeeming. So when Jesus asked his disciples, again, he says, who do you say I am? And Peter, and this is impetual spirit. He just says, you're the son of God, son of God. Ha <laughs> ha. Right. And then Jesus, and then, and then Jesus is like, actually, actually that's right. Like then, then he said, Hey, God had to tell you that cause you're not that smart. And, uh, but then literally two minutes later after this moment where Peter realizes who Jesus is, Jesus is talking about having to go to the cross, having to lay his life down, having to sacrifice for everybody who's there. Peter tries to rebuke the one who he just called God. He tries to rebuke him and he's like, no, that's not going to happen. No, that can't happen. And then Jesus looks at Peter and is like, get behind me, Satan. Like it's this really crazy moment where one minute he has this prophetic bend. Yeah, you're God. And then the next minute he's told he's the devil. It's really wild. So I love Peter for that reason. He just kind of like goes for it. He just says things. He's the one that when Jesus was arrested in the garden, he decided to take a fishing knife and try and off a guy, even though Luke tells us that there were swords present. So there's a couple swords laying around and and Peter's like, I'm going to use my fishing knife because this is smart. And so uh, he goes after this guy and he's so bad with a fishing knife. He tries to kill him and just cuts off like his earlobe. And so Jesus is like, bro, calm down. He tells him, put the, put it down. I would have been like, you're embarrassing me. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, uh, you know, those who live by the sword, die by the sword. Put that down. We're not about that. And so um, they arrest Jesus. They take him in front of the Jewish high council. And and then Peter sees his entire social sphere. Everybody that he knows, he's a Jew, right? He sees all this watch out. All of his community mock and reject Jesus. And that's where someone looks at Peter and says, hey, aren't you with Jesus? And Peter says, I don't know him. And they lean in again. They said, no, you look familiar. I think you're, you're, you're one of his, you're one of his disciples. You're with Jesus. And he's like, I don't know the guy. I do not know the guy. And then they dig in again. No, you sound exactly like they sound. You speak like you speak from that. You're, you're that you got to be one of his disciples. And he says, I don't know him. And he begins to cuss out this waitress basically in front of everybody to kind of remove himself from that grouping from the way from the following of Jesus. And so, just to prove to everybody like, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. And so he publicly denies Christ three times. Jesus has already told him he's going to do this. And then the rooster crows. The rooster crows. And, and the Bible says that Jesus looks at Peter and they lock eyes. And, and again, in my own flesh, if I'm in that environment and I'm Jesus, I look at Peter and I'm like, told you. Like, you know, but Jesus doesn't do that, by the way. Jesus looks at Peter and just goes, and he just feels so bad for Peter in that moment. Like, he just has empathy for the one that he loves, for this child who's experiencing this this failure, this epic failure. I just said I would never leave you. I'd never betray you. I'm, I'm going to be the one, ride or die. Like, I, we got this, right? And then all of a sudden, this girl asked me if I'm a follower of Jesus. I can't speak up. I can't stand up in this moment. I deny you publicly three times. What happens? Willful defiance of who Jesus is. Peter's broken in that moment, and he runs. Bible tells us he runs. It tells us he runs and he cries, And so he removes himself as a follower of Christ. I've just disqualified myself. I was called to be a follower of Jesus. He met me. He said, hey, you're mine. I want you to come with me. You're going to follow me. But I've had this moment that just totally disqualifies me from any future belonging to Jesus or following of Jesus. And so I'm just going to kind of go back to what I know. I'm no longer a disciple. And so that's where we pick up today in this passage in John chapter 21. 
And, and it's just about the heart of God when we struggle with failure. Look at this in verse 1. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. And so when it says after these things in verse 1, it's talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So this is right after Jesus is raised from the dead. And so what happens after Peter leaves, after Peter runs, is Jesus is brought in front of the Jewish high council. Jesus is condemned to death. And Pilate, and uh, Pilate's a part of that, looks out in front of everyone. Do you want Barabbas? Do you want Jesus? Give us Barabbas. And so they beat Jesus. They mock Jesus. They crucify Jesus. And then he pays for our sins. The things that it was the plan from day one. And yet he goes to the cross and he's executed for your sins, for my sins, for Peter's sins. And then, uh, and then the third day, the good news is he raises from the dead. And all the things that you and I struggle to conquer, he conquers for us. And then he has this moment in John chapter 21 where uh, the disciples have now gathered. And, and I love it because the Bible also tells us that uh, when the angel goes to visit the woman who goes to anoint the body of Jesus, he says, hey, I want you to gather the disciples and also Peter. <laughs> and he's like hey get the disciples together also make sure you get peter because peter's going to think this doesn't apply to him but i really need peter as well if you bring them and so these guys show up at the sea in tiberius and when peter shows up he sees a handful of followers and disciples there and he goes i just can't i can't pretend like i can't deal i can't do this and so uh, here's what happens in verse three of that same passage he says peter says i'm going out to fish i'm going to fish and they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and they got into the boat and they fished all day, fished all night. And they caught nothing. When Peter says, I'm going out to fish, he's not, it's not like a, I need something to kill time. I'm bored. Peter's saying, this is the life that I knew before. This is the comfort that I have. This is the vocation. This is the place that I feel like this is my future. I'm, I'm going to go fish. It's different than you and I saying, I'm going to go fish or I'm going to go whatever. I'll give you an example. Like if I tell Brooke, hey, I'm going to go go play basketball. Brooke has in her mind, she doesn't think right away, Michael's going to be in the NBA. That is like the least, that's not at all what she's thinking. She's thinking he's going to get hurt is what she's thinking. She's thinking he is going to sweat. He's going to be winded. Uh, Hopefully they're playing half court. Is his shoulder going to dislocate? Like she's thinking through all these things. And, but like I remember growing up and I remember the press conference where MJ comes out of retirement, Michael Jordan comes out of retirement. It says the same exact statement. I would say if I looked at Brooke and I was like, I'm going to go play basketball. MJ says the same exact statement. It just hits different when he's been playing baseball, just kind of like playing around or wherever on the side. And then he looks at the camera and he says, I'm going to play basketball. No one thought, oh, he's going to go down to the local elementary school. He's going to play horse with somebody. He's going to like, everybody's like, thank you for stop playing around. Like, thank you so much for like, and he meant I'm going to do this with my life. Like, this is going to be my vocation. I'm all in. And so Peter has this moment where he says, I'm going fishing. And Peter, what he's saying in that moment is this is, this is what I'm going back. I'm going back to the thing that I knew before. I'm a professional fisherman. Peter's dad was a professional fisherman. It's the very thing that he was doing whenever Christ called him to be a follower. I'm going back. And the handful of disciples that are there with Peter say, we'll go with you. Because Peter has influence. 
Peter's a, he's a leader among this group and you and I have influence all the time. So our willful disobedience and our, our, our removing ourselves from the things of God, our running from God, it impacts not just you, but the people around you, people sitting next to you saying the things, you know, you shouldn't say doing the things, you know, you shouldn't do hearing the things, seeing the things, all that willful disobedience and removing yourself from the presence and the call that God has on your life, not only impacts you, it impacts those little ears in your home impacts your coworkers. It impacts your family. It impacts the people around us. And this is the reason why it's so important for us to carry ourselves in a way that just preaches good news, always and only good news. Because we impact the people around us. And Peter, he impacts these brothers. They follow him into the boat. Look at verse four. It says early in the morning. So they, they have, they've had epic failure, haven't caught anything all night, wasted a ton of time doing this dumb thing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. And so Jesus comes and shows up. God draws near. He shows up on the beach. And then, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And the question I have when I'm reading passages like this is like, how is it that an entire boat full of the disciples of Christ don't realize that it's the Messiah that it's he's been they've been living together for three years they don't realize that it's Jesus on on the beach like how is it that time and time again we have these moments where like and then they realize it was Jesus it's like well maybe they were a long ways off and the Bible tells us that they were a hundred yards off and then maybe you think well maybe you know he looks completely different but like book of revelation tells us that he held the scars that he had when he went to the cross like he looks exactly the same and so the reason why i think they didn't realize it was jesus is because post-resurrection jesus would just like if you read your bible it's so great jesus would just like play with people post-resurrection right I'm, i'm thinking about in the garden and the tomb is empty mary goes to anoint the body and Jesus shows up and he just rolls up next to Mary. And he's like, how's it going? What's the matter? Why are you upset? He knows why she's upset. Why are you crying is what he says in the Bible. Why are you crying? What are you crying for? And uh, she's like, the Lord, they, I was here to anoint the body and now the body's gone. And now, you know, <laughs> and he's like, and then he says, and then he says, Jesus says, who are you here to see? He's like, standing right there. He's like, who, who is it? What are we talking about? And the Bible says that she thinks he's the gardener. And part of me is going, was Jesus trimming hedges when she rolled up at the garden tomb? Like, what was he doing in order for her to think that he was the gardener? Because that's just magic if he's over there just like pruning a boxwood or whatever while she walks up. And he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, so that'll be in my head. That's the way that works out. But uh, there's this other moment where like Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. And so there's two disciples going from Jerusalem and then they're walking seven miles to Emmaus. And as they're walking, the Bible tells us that Jesus shows up, but they are prevented from knowing that it's Jesus. They're disciples, they're followers of Jesus. And so, uh, and they don't realize it's Jesus. And they're talking about the past week, again, his death, his burial, and his potential resurrection. He called the shot, but, but they haven't seen Jesus or experienced Jesus yet. They're just talking about how crazy this week has been. And Jesus, Jesus walks up and he goes, how's it going? What you guys talking about? Literally, read your Bible. He's like, what you guys talking about? And they're like, are you the only one in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know? And he's like, tell me about it. He's, tell me, yeah, what happened this past? Like, he's the only one that knows, but they're like, did you, I mean, and then they begin to tell him 
about his death and his burial and his resurrection. And then Jesus says, hey, isn't all that because of those are things, uh, you know, those are prophetic things that had to be fulfilled. And these are things that were foretold. He begins to educate him a little bit. But he gets to Emmaus and the Bible says uh, that he pretended to keep walking. Again, he's jacking with people. He just keep, he's like, I'm going to pretend to keep walking. And they're like, hey, you want to grab dinner? And he's like, you know what? Why not? Let's do that, even though he knows they're going to ask him. And so he goes to dinner with them. They still don't know it's Jesus. They get to dinner. They have this moment. He breaks the bread. And when he breaks the bread, he's like, it's me. And then he disappears. And they're like, yo. And, and so they run back to Jerusalem. And when they run back to Jerusalem, they go up to the upper room. They tell the disciples, time out. He's alive. We just saw him. It was, it was kind of weird because for seven miles we walked with him and we didn't know it was him. And then he like, he did a thing over dinner. It was wild, but it, but it was him. It was really him. And in that passage, it tells us that Jesus shows up in that room. He doesn't use a door. He just floats up in that space, right? He just decides to do the creepiest thing ever and just appear into the room. And he frightens everybody in that space by saying, peace be with you. It's that moment in like, it's the moment in the scary movie where the refrigerator door is open and then they close the door and somebody's standing there. It's that moment and it's Jesus and he goes, peace be with you, is is what happens in that room. And so he's just messing with people. He's just like, and it's so great because I feel like God just has this sense of humor. And so why does any of that matter? Because he does the same thing in this passage in verse five. Look at this chapter 21. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And your, your Bible, your translation may say friends. Have you caught anything or whatever? And those are just not great translations. The original language is this little boys. Did you not catch anything? That's the original language. And he's like, Hey, how'd it go last night? You guys good? Did you catch anything? And he calls them little boys. Little boys. And so uh, it, it, I, I love it. You don't, you don't have any fish. What, what are you pursuing? The way of life that you're living, it's not working out, is it? And they answered him, no, it's not working out. Keep reading in verse 6. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And when he said, cast it on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some, some, uh, something switched. Because Peter's thinking back, this is a familiar miracle. This is the exact moment. This is the exact miracle that takes place whenever Peter is first called to be a disciple. And Jesus is right there with Peter. How'd it go today? We haven't caught anything. Okay, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Who are you? You're a carpenter? Okay, cool. No, I'm not doing that. That's ridiculous. Cast it on the other side. That's going to, you know. And so he does it, hauls in this crazy catch, realizes he's he's in the presence of God. And literally in that moment, whenever Jesus calls him, first calls him, he says, get away from me. I'm not a good person. I don't deserve to be on the boat with you. I don't deserve to be in your presence. You need to run. This is not, and and Jesus says, no, I want you. I want you. And you're going to catch men. Instead of fish, I'm going to make you a great fisher of men. And, And Jesus recreates this moment for Peter. He recreates this miracle. And I love it so much. Um, in the, in the moment of Peter's greatest failure, most distant he's ever felt from God, most broken he's ever felt, Jesus recreates this moment of a calling for Peter to say, I'm still here. I'm still calling you. I still desire reconciliation. 
And so uh, when he when he hears it is Jesus, Peter realizes it's Jesus. He does something that I pray all of us do in that moment where we realize God's calling us again. He stops running from God and he starts moving towards him. Look at look at John 21, seven and eight. He says, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped. He was stripped for work and then threw himself into the sea, which again is the opposite of what you want to do. If you want to move fast in water is to put on some kind of outer garment. But anyway, that's Peter. The other disciples came in the boat. This is John's account. I love it because John's digging at Peter a little bit, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And so uh, Peter is so overjoyed that, it, it, that Jesus is here that he throws himself. Bible says that um, he uh, he threw himself into the sea. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't like a dive. He put his outer garment on in order to do it. It just looked ridiculous, right? And then also they're rowing boats. And so what they did was they just rowed in 100 yards and just cheered Peter on. Like, I hope that brother doesn't drown on his way to, you know, like, but they're just rowing in. Like, why is he doing this? And so, but some of us feel so far from God. Some of us feel like the mistakes that we've made, the sin, the brokenness in our lives, our failures have disqualified us. Man, I've had this willful area of defiance against God, and I just got to run. I just got to hide. I'm not going to be who I'm supposed to be. I'm just going to pretend, and I'm not the worst person you ever met, but I'm definitely not where I'm supposed to be. And man, there's nothing further from the truth. And, and the enemy would love for you to just settle. Enemy would love for you to be distracted. Enemy would love for you to pursue the things that you're comfortable with or the life that you used to know prior to knowing Christ. And you think, man, I've had this major disappointment, this major failure in my life, and I can't move forward. And, and I know it's scary, and I know it can be humiliating, but the, the, the catch is, is that God draws close. Jesus is on the beach. Just throw yourself in the water. Throw yourself in the water. Let your tears and your embarrassment and your brokenness be an offering of reconciliation. A moment of vulnerability going, I desperately need what you have for me. And I don't care how ridiculous I look to the people around me. Because I need it. I need to be restored. And I need to hear you say that it's okay. And so look, look at verses 9 and 10. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire. A charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. Jesus didn't need their fish. It wasn't like he needed fish. He already he was like, I'm good. I'm, you know, awesome. And bread. But then he said, hey, bring some what, bring some what you caught. Contribute, contribute to what I'm doing. That's great. But Jesus has every reason to be frustrated with this group of guys. Last week, every single one of them fled. All of them hid. Peter denied Christ publicly. And what does Jesus do in response to his own betrayal and his own denial? He looks at them and he says, you guys want breakfast? <laughs> what? And so, uh, so he, he cooks the breakfast over this charcoal fire. Now, there's two places in all of scripture that references this type of fire. The other place that references a type of fire is uh, this type of fire, charcoal fire, is the night when Peter betrays Jesus. He warms his hands at a charcoal fire. Okay. And so, you know good and well, Peter gets up on the beach and he goes, oh, snap. Okay. All right, cool. That's charcoal fire. All right, we're doing the thing. Okay, cool. So 
Uh, so he recreates this moment of connection. Jesus does all of this on purpose. And so he, and he's going, I still want relationship, but then he, he recreates Peter's greatest moment of failure because he wants him to deal with it so that he can move past it, not to hurt him, not to harm him so that he can actually deal with it so that he can move forward. Look at this. John 21, 15, when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, Bible scholars think that he's talking, there's, there's a couple different angles you could take with this. You could take, is he talking about the disciples? Do you love me more than these? Hey, Peter, last week you said you did. And then do you remember this last week? Like, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than everybody else who's here? And do you think really the question is, Peter, do you think you can love me in your own effort? You think you're going to be able to keep my commands and love me and do the things that I want you to do in your own power and in your own strength? You need my grace, Peter. You can't do it in your own power. But I think, too, I think that Jesus holds up a fish. Do you love me more than these? You're like, what does that have anything to do with anything? It's like, hey, do you love me more than the thing that you're comfortable with? Do you love me more? Listen, so many of us, instead of dealing with past hurts and failures and brokenness in our lives, predispositions to sin and struggle, areas that we need freedom from, we just get busy. Let's just fill our calendar. Let's not think about it. Let's not deal with it. Let's just get distracted. Let's just do our job. Keep our head down. Dear God, nobody ask me. Are we good? Yeah, we're good. Everything's good. I love that in church world, we're good, except we're not. Like we say, hey, I need Christ. I need a savior. I need someone to rescue and redeem my life. I believe in the gospel. I believe in his life and his death and his resurrection for me. And yeah, I'm good. We're good. It's like, what are we talking about? Like, it's so, I believe it's both in. I believe it's both. Hey, do you love me more than these disciples? But also, do you love me more than these? This life that you're headed back to, right? Is that the whole vision for your life? Work a job and die. Do you love me more than these? And then look at verse 15. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus looks at him and said, feed my lambs. Future tense. Keep keep going on. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to it the third time. Again, Jesus, there's a charcoal fire. I'm asking you if you love me three times. Why you denied me three times? Peter goes, oh, he's doing the thing right now, right? He's grieved in this moment. And so he says, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, okay, feed my sheep. A lot of, you know, in the past when I read this, and again, this is my own flesh. I'm just being real and honest. Um, I used to think that Jesus created this moment so that he could prove to Peter in the areas that he was like, hey, you were wrong. And I'm just going to remind you that you were wrong. You love me? Yes, Lord. I love you. Oh, really? Cool. Because you remember last week, you know, like, and, and just like asking him like a second and a third time just to kind of prove the point. But that's not what he's doing. Jesus isn't shaming Peter. He's pointing forward, not backward. If he wanted to shame Peter, he said, do you love me, Peter? What happened when I got arrested? But he doesn't do that. He says, do you love me, Peter? And he says, yes, Lord. He said, okay, move forward. Why are you in a boat? 
Why are you going back to the things that you knew that you're comfortable with instead of actually doing my work? Why are you act There's plenty of people that need what you have to offer, Peter. There's plenty of people that need feeding. There's, there's an acknowledge, like you know who I am. You know, there's this, there's this revelation that's been given to you that's unique. I know you failed. I know you struggle. I know you screwed up. I knew you would do that. I paid for that. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Move forward. And so I don't know what you brought into the room today. I don't know what wounds you carry. I know you carry some. I don't know what struggles you face, what addictions haunt you, insecurities mark your every encounter. But you literally, the way you carry yourself and the way that you engage the rest of humanity is marked by those things. <laughs> your, your fears, your anxieties, your stresses, your worries. I hope no one knows. Fill in the blank with whatever you hope that no one knows. Whatever failure for your life. And some of us are so dominated by the wounds of the past that they've taken over our present. And they're going to impact your future. So Jesus brings you back to a place of wounding, not to hurt you, but to remove the pain. And right now, the Holy Spirit will speak to you exactly what he wants you to know he wants to take from you. He already knows what failure. It doesn't catch him off guard. And you know, too. You're like, just be real still. Just be real still. He'll keep moving on. And so let's deal with the wound. Let's not pretend. I don't want to build a culture as a church, and we definitely don't need this. This is the overwhelming of the issue in the church. And again, I'm talking, I'm preaching at myself as I preach at you, okay? These are things I'm learning as I follow Jesus is that there is good news for my failures. There's good news for my failures, good news for your failures. Don't get so wrapped up in your failure and in your hurt and in your insecurities that you become, you become unable to feed sheep. They need you. So let God address the wound. Let him address the sin. Let him address the pain. Let him deal with the hurt and hang up. Help him to, help him to renew your mind. God, help me to renew my mind in areas of my life that I need to desperately think the way that you think, see people the way that you see people, and then ultimately you give me over to a new heart as I do that, but you have to bring me to this moment. We got to have breakfast. It has to be a charcoal fire. You have to ask three times just to remind me I denied you three times. All that has to happen in order for this moment to play out. And then you send me out. Look at verses 18 and 19. Here's what happens. Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you. This is Jesus talking to Peter. And he's, they're going to carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Hey, Peter, you're going to glorify me in life. You're going to glorify me in death. And you're not worthy of it, but I want you to follow me. I love it is that he bookends all of this and he looks at Peter after all this and he says, follow me. Like, hey, in case you've forgotten, I still love you. I still want you. I still, I still desire to be in relationship with you. I want you to follow me. Not because I'm mad at you. Not because I want to judge you. Not because I'm upset. Not because I want to keep you from great things. But because I want you to experience a life you never could experience in your own power, your own strength. Things that you wouldn't even know to desire for yourself. I want to give you over to those things. Follow me. And so look at what Peter says. This is so great. This is how we live. Verses 20 through 22. Peter turned, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following John. This is John's gospel, by the way. So John calls himself, I know, 
we don't have time, but calls himself uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so Peter turned, saw the disciple, John, uh, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, what about him? He just had this moment with the son of man who said, you're going to glorify me in your life. You're going to glorify me in death. Follow me. And then he looks at, he looks at his spiritual brother and he's like, what about him? It's that moment as a parent where you tell one kid to do a thing and they're like, well, what about, and you're like, I didn't tell, I am not talking to them. I'm talking to you right now. This is your responsibility. I'm talking to you in this moment. And so God has this moment, but what about him? And Jesus said, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Follow me. Don't worry about him. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. Will you follow me? What about my spouse? I'm not talking to them. What about my boyfriend? I'm not talking to him. What about that? My buddies in the locker room. I, none of them follow. I'm not talking to them. What about my people at work? I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you, will you follow me? And we play this game in the Christian life where uh, we think somehow we're excused by disobedience. We're excused by defiance. We're excused by knowing a thing and not responding to what God's asking us to do because other people aren't doing it. And yet he's just talking to you. Like, I believe there's things in his word and by the power of his spirit, he has tailored a message for you today to think about your own failures, your own brokenness, your own insecurities, the own areas that you need Jesus in your life to meet you on the beach and say, hey, I love you. Do you love me? Let's move forward. Let's deal with it. Some of, some of us have to deal with some things. Some of us need a moment to deal with some things. Things that you've been carrying that have marked your life by 15 years. You still carry that junk. And he's going, let's deal with it so we can move forward. The same guy, the same guy in this passage, who at his worst, right, in the worst moment of his life, most, most far, he just feels so far from God, feels unqualified. The same guy is the one who stands up on the day of Pentecost, preaches, and then 3,000 people respond to the message. God only always uses unqualified people, jacked up people, sinful people, people who would say, I am a failure and Jesus is good. That is the good news. So if you're trying to pretend like you have it all together, you don't. <laughs> and, and I know that because I read my Bible. But more importantly, God sees you and he wants to meet with you and he wants to free you up from pretending so that you can move forward in freedom, so that you can move forward in faith, and he can use your failures as a fulcrum. Jesus, he's gracious here to Peter, not because he is dismissing Peter's sin. He doesn't dismiss Peter's sin. He doesn't dismiss your sin. He paid for it. And that's the good news. You're like, that's insane. I know. I know. And yet, like, that's the gospel. That's the good news. And you go, what, you know, I don't want people to know what I struggle with. He already knows. Chances are the people in your life probably do too. They're just not bringing it up. And so just, just have a moment where you deal with the things you need to deal with. God, what are the failures in my life? My insecurities, the things that hold me back, my fears. And then have this moment where you free me from that. So I can deal with it, God. I can, I can, I can 
put that out on the table and say, God, I give that to you. I give my denial to you. I give this past week to you. I give this past year to you. I want to move forward on faith, but I need you to do in me what I can't do in myself. And so I want you to think about what that looks like for your life. What are the areas that you need? You need, the, you need that good news for the struggles that you carry. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the way you love us, for the way you pursue us, God, the way you speak to us through your word and by your spirit right here today. You want to have an encounter with every single person in this room. You know exactly what we need to hear. And I pray you would just speak that right to us in this moment. If you're here, I want to give you an opportunity today. I want to give you an opportunity just to confess openly that you need Jesus to, to confess openly that there's some areas of your life where you've failed. You've missed the mark. You're, you're prone to it. It's, it's our nature. We, we, we need a savior, but I want to give you an opportunity to just think on, reflect on God's already spoken to you what those areas are. And if you're here today and you want to deal with the failures, the hangups, the insecurities, the struggles that you've been carrying, some of us for years, and you want to today just draw a line in the sand and say, I'm doing something about this area of my life, just right where you're at, just on faith. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. I know I got some things in my life I desperately need to deal with. Man, I know there's some failures and some struggles and some brokenness. Yeah, you could put your hand down. Thank you so much. Just on faith, just say, that's me. This is for me. And you may be here and you go, man, I've, I've never had the moment where I really had an encounter with Jesus and it moved me in such a way that I really desired to go all in. But today, for the first time ever, I just really want to surrender my life to him. I want to have a moment where he pursues me, calls me, draws me in, sits me down, invites me to breakfast, reminds me that he loves me so much, invites me to follow him and says, I need you to lay down all of your brokenness. I need you to lay down all of your insecurities, all of your fear, hand that over to me so you can be in right relationship. The Bible talks about just the power that comes. There's a great faith that we have in the saving grace of Jesus. Again, we need you. Jesus is overwhelmingly what it means to put our faith and our trust in him. We're unable we're failures. I need you. And so your moment of salvation is when you place your faith in him. Bible also talks about the significance of that moment and that we're to confess him as Lord. I'm going to give you an opportunity to confess him as Lord today. If you want to place your faith, your trust in Jesus, if you want to surrender your life in him to him, if you want to come alive in Christ today, just right where you're sitting, if you just raise your hand and say, that's for me, I need, I need a moment where I encounter Christ, where I come alive in him. People, people respond all the time. It's a Holy Spirit moment, moment that God stirs your affection for him. And you go, this is for me. I know I need a relationship with Jesus. So right where you're at, just raise your hand so you can confess him as Lord. And I believe that God, I believe God has saved you 2,000 years. The moment of your personal salvation is the moment you realize who he is in relationship to you. And you say this, say this with me. Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your resurrection. And thank you that you pursue me and that you, you want me to follow you even though I don't merit it. God, you have great things in store for my life. God, thank you that you see us and you love us and you offer this, this good news for all of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.